Morning BHA. It is a podcast about barbershop recorded today. Richard Reeve in Queensland and there's Ash down in Perth. Two Australians talking about the greatest hobby on earth. Oh boy, it's swell to say. Good morning, BHA! Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Good Morning BHA, the podcast where we talk all things barbershop in Australia with a very healthy dollop of international stuff as well. I am your host, Ash Schofield, and you will hear from Richard Reeve shortly as we go into one of our history episodes as I look back longingly in, that you can't see. It's so very good for an audio medium for me to be doing something visual. But anyway, on with the show. During Harmony Academy, uh, Richard runs the history of barbershop classes and uh, gets into the BHS and the BHA. And this is one of the little highlights that he can do during that. Grab someone who's got some history, someone like Daniel Milgate, who we're talking to today, and uh, just ask them a bunch of questions and gets a whole lot of info. So uh, without further ado, let's get on with it. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm... um Honour to introduce a long-term barbershopper um, who's been to every convention, almost every every convention, um, sang in numerous quartets, uh, won numerous Australian gold medals and chorus and quartet. Uh, he has uh, held various positions. He's represented Australia numerous times on the international stage. Uh, there are various other things I could say about him, but this is a public forum, so I will simply say uh, he is our current president. Please welcome Mr. Dan Milgo. This is when you walk over here. <laughs> so the purpose of this is to bring history alive, and who is more alive than Mr. Danny Hillgate? Um, <laughs> A lot of us. <laughs> um, so, mate, the, the place I always like to start is tell us about your, your musical background before Barbershop and, uh, and what made you, uh, I guess, open to Barbershop when you found it in that public area. Um, I started my early career as a barbershop, sorry, as a ballroom dancing instructor for uh, a couple of local colleges who would do debutante balls. And uh, of course, you're listening to a lot of old time music there. Uh, so my partner and I would just go from school to school and teach these kids how to dance. And as, as is the thing with teenage kids, often girls and boys would break up. And, you know, so we would always end up going to these balls as well. It was just a fun gig to be on. But um, we had heard a lot of this old time music, so one night after a ball, we went to a pub to have a beer afterwards, and a quartet was in there, actually it was the Canberra Chordsman, a chorus was in there having an afterglow, and um, it was Australia's first mixed chorus. So because they had no tenors, we had leads and tenors who were female, so I just grew up thinking that was a normal thing, but they would do a gig, sit around the piano, an old lady in the club called Daphne who played at old people's homes for a living and so she'd get out and roll out the barrels and all of the stuff that I knew from the dancing side of things so after a few beers I joined in and they said hey you've got a, an interest, a really great voice and an interest in what we're doing so why don't you come and audition and I did <laughs> so I, I turned up I was very excitedly accepted into the chorus as uh, a young man who could sing tenor and therefore we could have some boys in the tenor section and was the next week asked to be in a quartet because they had no male tenors. And uh, so that Ford of the Bard joined about a week after I started Barbershop. And we started doing Floriade and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, there you go. 
So um, you, when, when Harry spoke to you in the pub, you knew that you loved harmony singing? I did. I hadn't sung in choirs and stuff at school because um, I thought it was a little bit daggy. I was probably more into the musical side of things. I did Bye Bye Birdie. Much tougher and cooler musical theatre, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> normal stuff. But I, I was also not particularly sporty, as you could uh, <laughs> envisage. And so, you know, hanging out with, uh, with the, you know, the artistic people um, suited me a little better. So um, it was, it was kind of just discovered it was something I was kind of good at and had fun doing. So... And so tell us about that, you know, what you remember about the first rehearsal or the first few weeks uh, that, that kept you coming back, apart um, from the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was um, an interesting thing. I walked in, at that time there was about 50 members in the club. Wow, that's big a lot. Club, yeah. Big club, and as you saw from the numbers in the contest, yeah. clubs were bigger. Um, just the fact that everybody was really friendly, I think that was the thing that struck me the most, was the, the culture of the organisation, is that, you know, I suddenly had... 35 dads you know Uh, my my parents had split up and so I was brought up in a single mum household but I suddenly had these 35 guys who mentored me through life and and um, about 15 of them were Australian Federal Police at the time so um, certainly led me very far astray in many ways uh, but always brought me back again so uh, it was just good that was a really active chorus that liked to travel and do gigs so we'd go to you know, we'd go for a three-hour drive and do a, a jazz show somewhere or we'd go to a, lots of other stuff around the place. So it was very active. Um, and, of course, I met my wife there, uh, which was kind of interesting. She came in one night. She said she had seen an ad in the paper that um, we were auditioning, so she popped in. And by that stage, there was two, two guys in the tenor section, so we both, you know, I hope she sings tenor. And, well, she did. So, uh, yeah, I met her and we, uh, we sang Barbershop together for a long time. So... Nice. And so, um, but sorry, it's the culture. Yeah. You know, it was the the family was really important and the social stuff, you know, like everybody did stuff together. And I think that's one thing you certainly notice, even at our conventions, you know, there were people tagging everywhere with everyone, doing all sorts of fun stuff and just hanging out and enjoying company. And uh, it's it's quite quite unique. Mm. Mm. And so, how quickly after you joined the Chordsman did you realise that you? wanted to and you could sing in quartet because not every barbershopper wants to yeah i know um when i joined i was given two weeks to we had a, a gig coming up in two weeks so i had to learn 18 songs in two weeks <laughs> and, um, so i did because i was really excited and uh i looking back I've, I've seen recordings and so yeah i don't think i learned them efficiently but i learned them and you learned to, them in the cab between rides I hated that so much, <laughs> so much. That was all scripted by a Channel 7 producer. Wow. And yeah, I hated every minute of it. But anyway, looking back, it gives you a laugh, so it's all worthwhile. Um, uh, look, um, I, I, I enjoyed singing in the chorus as a tenor um, for about a year and sort of built, built my knowledge of the craft and sang in the quartet for a little while. Um, but then I kind of thought uh, it might be fun to try some other voice parts and quickly worked out that bass was where the action was at for me. Very much enjoyed the attention in the foyer afterwards, you know, when you'd get off stage and people would go, oh, and they'd want to sing with you and stuff. So it was just kind of the glory part for me. So I shifted to bass after about, um, well, after my voice broke probably <laughs> and um, yeah I was probably about 18 when I started singing bass wow mm. 
Uh, and then... So who approached whom in Ford of the Bar to join the court? So Harry Owen was the musical director. He was the guy with the, the silver mm. beard there. Yeah. Uh, he was also found, like one of the, one of the kickers off of Vocal Evolution. Uh, but I blame Harry for starting me off in Barbershop. Mm. He was the MD. He'd come out from England. Uh, he was a member of the Great Western Chorus in uh, England. Uh, so he came out and started up the club. Um, and that was kind of his quartet. So we would rotate members through as they came and went. And it just happened that then the bass went and that spot opened up. And rather than audition for a new bass, we found Nick Begby. So that was kind of fun. Bass or lead? Uh, he came in as lead. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, he was um, my wife's school mate, like classmate. So we knew of his musical career and that he, he could sing pretty well. And uh, so, yeah, we, we hit him up and said, how would you like to, to join this quartet? Cool. So, yeah. And before we get quickly into Fort of the Bar, I'm also interested in um, how, you know, many of us join Barbershop and, and you know, we're... Uh, we're busy enough, we're, we're, our, our barbershop world is full with what's immediately in front of us, our chorus, maybe quartet. So when did you start to learn, uh, how quickly after you joined did you go to your first convention and how quickly did you learn that there was a, a national and then an international body, um, society? As I said, we were a, a very much a travelling chorus and so we'd go <coughs> from Canberra to places like Bathurst or you know, into, the, into the Blue Mountains or we'd go to all these shows. and. It was not unusual back in the late 80s for US choruses to tour. So we had the Johnny Appleseed <coughs> Chorus came out in about 1988 or 9 and just said we're going to put on shows in a few different cities and so we all hosted them. We all went to that show because it was going to be like one show in New South Wales, one that only. So we all went, every barbershop from, you know, for a thousand miles. And uh, the international champs came along to that too. So it was just kind of fun to get to know the international champs and sort of you know spend the night playing snooker or, or whatever it was with them so uh, yeah I guess that the traveling part of things is yeah look I don't know I don't know how to answer that question That's right. it's, it's yeah it was a lot of different things because of that though we then <coughs> thought this seems to be working so let's you know, I mean, far out, we didn't even have sweat airlines yet mm. in, in Australia that's why we had mixed mm. mixed chorus um, it was probably a couple of years, about two and a half years, when uh, AMS decided to have its first convention. And uh, so I went along to that, not really knowing what to expect, because my chorus and my quartet was, was what I had really experienced. Mm. The most I have time. footage of you in that chorus, but mm. I'll, I'll, I won't play that for the time <laughs> being. Um, uh, so yeah, so tell us briefly, there's heaps of other stuff we want to talk about, but just tell us briefly, uh, you know, holistically what you remember and what, you, I guess, you know, you learned and the good times about Ford of the Bar, because obviously you had to, you know, you, you, you went to that kind of gunning for the gold and then, you know, you, you, you won it the following year, so it was, there's a fair bit of a story yeah. there. Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, in, in 1993, um, Ford of the Bar turned up, to, we went to our first convention in 91 and then we swapped out and got lead, uh, a new lead, we got Nick in. So in 93 we went to the second AMS convention and whoa, we won a, gold, uh, we won a silver medal. And that was a, a really big surprise. Like we were, we were just over the moon. We literally stayed up all night celebrating, missed our plane. Um, <laughs> we were just so thrilled and so excited. And so then we thought, well, obviously we're on the right path. And so next year we just need to turn on that. That was this video, that mm. was the next year. And we, we probably spent a lot of rehearsal time making TV instead of rehearsing. <laughs> so, uh, that was a really close contest as well. Um, we then 
got serious into Sydney in 97. But I, I guess what I did learn was um, there is a major difference between choruses and quartets. In a quartet, you have absolute power and control over what you do, and in a chorus, you toe the line and you do what the, what's good for the good of the chorus. Um, so you can only move as slow as your slowest member and, and things like that. So I guess the, the one thing I learned was about my own level of patience or lack thereof. And, you know, I liked to be challenged and, and learn songs really quickly. And uh, in that video, you know, you heard us singing a couple of Johnny Mitchell songs. So just the arrangements were different. You know, it was just a different style of, of stuff. Um, and we liked kind of pushing, you know, you'll probably remember, we, we, we sang some stuff that the music judges did not dig. And... Uh, Deliberately so, because we just thought they were more enter entertaining, mm -hmm. and well, still doing that. Really. Entertaining? That's not Barbershop. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool, man. And so, um, tell me what you can remember when you weren't drunk, staying up all night, missing your plane. About those first few conventions. The first one must have been we we watched just before you um, had a chance to join us. We watched just a few seconds of Eddie Klimowitz as the president of the Blenders host chorus in '91, and then John Little getting up on stage and just saying how thrilled he was for everyone to be here because it had been years of backwards and forwards communication, Absolutely. trying to get things organised. So finally everyone was in the same room, which was been amazing. Yeah, and uh, it, it was just so exciting. Like I remember, you know, there was just a real buzz about it and we've finally done it because mm. remember, you know, AMS was associated in 1985 and so there'd been stuff going on around yep. the countryside and there'd been sort of informal contests and, and events going on for that six years. Uh, but it was amazing to just get everyone in the same room and, and also to have, you know, wow, we've got real live Americans here in Australia. Yeah. You know, like at that time, you know, travel was still, you know, not an easy not thing. Not easy, yeah. And it, and it was an expensive thing, but we had these Americans come out who, uh, you know, we were just thrilled to be able to meet them. You know, nowadays, you know, we see them every year, yeah. if not, you know, a couple of times a year. Yeah. But back then it was, it was yeah, amazing was, to see uh, these guys with shiny gold. Very much a novelty, yeah. 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 No, I actually... I was I was pretty thrilled that the lead of, of the Ritz made it a bit of a big deal because it was a bit of a big deal. You know, he said, "And your first ever national champion." It's yes. really cool. Yeah, yeah. It There's is a lot of fanfare, and it was really exciting. Yeah. You know, and there's the funny things I do remember about the first convention, and that is the guys who won it. They sang a song. Uh, they sang "Won't You Come Home," Bill Bailey, as one of their songs, and they they did a lot of TV work then too, promoting it. But their bass was a guy called Link Abbott. And he was another one of the kind of you know the the, the important founders of the association, uh, as far as spreading it around Queensland goes. And he's passed now, but um, he he man he was just a hatchy little man, and he sang a mean bass. But he walked out on stage in a dress and a and a bonnet, <laughs> and he was the wife saying, "Won't you come home, Bill Bailey?" And um, I do remember the judges had to stand up at that stage because that was illegal back then. You know, if you impersonated a woman, that's it, DQ done. If you talked on stage, done, DQ. And um, so they came out and caused a bit of a stir. Uh, and I think we probably got a bit of leeway because it was our first convention. Yeah. And they thought, you know, we're a long not way from Not really a lot to be achieved by DQing someone, yeah. Yeah. If they're not trying to offend anyone, they're just trying to yeah. bring a, a yeah. performance to life. Well, what's exciting to see, though, is that there were people at that convention who are still competing now. You know, and, and that's like even Derek Cosburn, I yeah. think he was only about 80 at that first I think convention. so, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's really, really nice to see that he's, you know. He, Absolutely. This, this is the first convention, this one, he, he had to um, withdraw this year due to illness. But other than that, he's, he's pretty much right. sung yeah. every convention. Yeah. So. He, uh, and I've, as I've been looking at the historical footage, I've noticed yeah. people like Owen Buckley um, among the first. Uh, um, 
Uh, Dan Cooper was a, among the first uh, heaps of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's and th this was also a time when we got together, and it was the first time as a, a, a medium-sized chorus that we got to see a real big chorus with showy sort of dance moves and stuff. And so it was just a, a really inspirational mm. sort mm. of thing to see. So we, because uh, we don't have all day, unfortunately, we have to kind of fast forward through a bit. So tell us sort of what you can remember about yeah, the evolution of um, the, you know, the Australian Association through the 90s and the evolution of education and, and the judging system and was what, what sort of what do you remember about that sort of first decade? Um, like, like most members, I don't think that I paid a whole lot of attention. Yep. I think most members, to be honest, join a club. Yep, and just do what's in front of them. Yep. Become very familiar with their own club and their mm -hmm. own buddies and their riser mates and their own repertoire and, and and for many clubs and for many members, that's as far as it gets. It's it's just, you're so busy, you've got so much stuff to learn, so much stuff to do, so much stuff to manage, that that's the extent of it. And so every two years, we'd go along to a, a national convention and you'd see these old guys rolled out in suits and or you know stand up the front and talk, 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 and they were completely irrelevant mm -hmm. in every way. Mm -hmm. um, we guessed that they kind of did some organising and stuff in the background, mm -hmm. but it was not anything that we really paid a great deal of attention to. Mm. Um, and, and I guess I got interested in that side of things later when I thought, you know, I you know, rose up through club management first and became president of that club and, um, and just got a bit of a taste for what it was like to be able to influence positively and, and to be able to help people create a better environment for doing something they really love to do. Mm. And so that's kind of what led me to, you know, to get involved at a national level just being able to give back and help people get as much fun out of it as I've had mm, mm. over the years because mm, it really enough. has been you know, a family. Mm. So. so let's fast forward now to, correct me if I'm wrong, to Harmony College in 2003, is that correct? When, uh, when Alliance was formed as a, as my understanding, as was, was a um, was. sort of a, a, a scratch quartet to, for, yeah, for coaching purposes? Yeah, Ian correct me on any of yeah. this, but um, uh, we were asked to, you know, th there were classes on where we did coaching under glass and stuff, and so we were asked to put together a, a demonstration quartet, just made up of a few guys from from Perth, around the place, yep. which is where the convention was held. Um, and I knew Ian from around the traps, and so anyway, we sang in this old church that was built in the 1800s. Uh, we thought we'll go in here and have a quick sing before the class. I think Derek might have built them to make sure, <laughs> at least, at least. Uh, at least, you know, to make sure that we knew, had some songs that we could sing and to try and make it sound relatively good. And we sang, sang in this old church down at Fairbridge. And uh, I think it took us about 25 minutes to sing Sweet Adeline. Because <laughs> every chord we were like, ah. Stop. <laughs> Sweet. Ah. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's how Alliance was born, you know. We thought this is pretty good. Um, the baritone at that stage probably was not as... Um, interested in taking that journey and so we swapped out for another baritone and got Les on, mm -hmm. on board. And, and Adrian had been singing, had Adrian only sung tenor previously. A, yep. yeah, he was a very new barbershop yep. and he was a tenor in the chorus. Yep. But um, Ian had suggested he might have the, might have the, the chops. Might have the chops. Mm. And look at him, he's now full circle back singing tenor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so what happened next? And you know, like, did you chat to each other before you left Harmony College or did you did something happen after that to get you guys no, actually we decided, going? We pretty much decided then and there that it was going to be... An, uh, so we agreed to use frequent flyer points um, the following Australia Day. So we had the, the convention in September and we thought, let's get, a, get together in January. And so I flew over to Perth to, to see how it would go. So we learned a couple of songs in preparation for that and, and got over and thought, you know, this, this could actually work. 
Um, then we went off to New Zealand to the Pan Pacific in 2004, yep. and then came back here in 05. So. You did well in Pampax, came second to a second uh, musical to a, island a boys. A little known group there's, over there. Bunch there's of school no kids. shame in that, yes. <laughs> bunch of school kids. Who, f- who future international us. champions, I yeah. I know, I <laughs> Met a chick called Charlotte over there who was a, a local teacher who yeah. was doing her best to teach these boys, you know, keep them off the streets. Yeah. <laughs> she was pulling her hair out about how to, how to keep them under control. And, um, but yeah, they won. Yeah. And, uh, and we were okay with that. We were yeah. very okay with yeah. that because they, they sang so well. And was that a uh, you know still a, a another launching off point? You're pretty proud with what you put on stage and really pretty Absolutely. excited about in Gold Coast in 05? Absolutely. I mean, other than you know certain TV advertisements aside, <laughs> I'm happy with everything I put on stage. Nice. You have to be, or mm. you shouldn't put it on stage. Yeah. Um, you know that that's a pretty good rule mm. to live by. Mm. If if you don't think you're good enough, then there's going to be someone else in the audience who doesn't think you're good enough either. Yeah. So make sure you're good enough. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, if people out sing you, that's great. That's good for the for the for the art form. It's good for the association, uh, and you just cop that. You know, this this week I sat down and I thought what we'd put on stage. We thought we'd be up there, uh, and we we're pretty excited. But when we watched the collective sing, we said, okay, <laughs> we didn't actually go. Oh no, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but they were just awesome. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And so tell us about the journey, uh, we, again we've got, we got a sort of race, but tell us about the journey up to 05, uh, Alliance of course won the gold medal but uh, through a count back on the singing score, so what was the, what was the culture in the, the quartet and, and how did you approach the competition? Uh, it, it, I think we'd been across the judging school, the first judging school in 04 as well, and so having gone through the program gave us some really cool ideas about stuff to work on. Uh, we all had our own different angles of things to coach on, so that was fun. Um, how did we approach it? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Just well, do, 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 do the good things. I, I remember, I vividly remember, that was my, 05 was my first convention, and I vividly remember Alliance singing What Will I Do? And uh, I just, um, I was, I remember it so clearly, I, and you guys sang it again in, because I kind of was just getting used to what was happening and when, and different rounds, and you couldn't sing the same songs in different rounds and stuff, you know, as everyone's first convention, just learning it, and so I was, Pleased that you sang it again in the final because yeah. I just didn't want you to stop singing. What will I do? It was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah, you know, every group, every group you're in, you, you have a song or two that just means it really just it fires. It just works. It, it means something to everybody. Yeah. Everyone can really get into it. It sounds good. It's voiced well. Um, there's always one of those in every group, and if there's not, find one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were a long distance quartet, so you know we had to maximise what we did, and so Dan would come across and we'd be pretty intensive uh, weekends of uh, rehearsing, so you know, we could sort of rehearse. Yeah, I guess that's an in, a, a great point. Hours or yeah. something, you know, All day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, most quartets kind of get together for two hours a week, whereas we would take those two hours and make them all occur at once over a weekend. So I'd get in on a Friday afternoon, and we'd work all the way through till flight time home on Sunday night. Um, so it's pretty intensive. We'd do that, you know, once a month, or yeah. once every six or eight weeks, I guess. I just remember in that 2005 contest, we had a song called Smiling Through, which um, one of Tony DeRosa's quartets or something. So, and the first few times we sang it, it ends up with the guy dying or the wife dying or whatever, we would just burst into tears. Yeah, right. finish the song yeah. because we'd just get so emotional about it we mm. actually managed to get through it. Get through it. Mm. But the, I guess the mentality of that quartet was to turn up to rehearsal not being the weakest link. So we'd set, set down a very firm, okay, we need to be at this stage with this repertoire by this time. And so if you go into the expense of, you know, and it was expensive, 
you know, flying across mm. the country every six weeks, uh, you don't want to waste that money. Mm. So yeah, you turn up knowing your stuff. Mm. And that, yeah, that was actually years. a pretty good way to, to become good at learning that stuff. Yeah. Over eight years, we turned over about $60,000. Oh my goodness. Yeah, flights. Wow. Just flights. Yeah. Wow. So we've got to keep going, but um, so obviously then uh, uh, after um, uh, you won 05, um, your baritone at the time, Les, decided to retire and you had a chat with him and he kept going for a little while, but then decided to actually step out. So yeah, what he, was it he'd about? Yeah, he'd been a barbershop for a long time and his goal, uh, he was driven to win the national gold and, and achieved so it. he achieved that yeah. and, and wished us farewell mm. and we were okay with that. Yeah. That, was, that was always on the, on the, on the cards. Right. Um, when we replaced him in, you know, after 2003, you know, he said, yes, uh, you know, I'll join you, but this is my goal. Okay. And I think that's an important thing to have too, is, you know, make sure you're on clarity. the same page with, you know, have clarity around goals uh, with, with your groups. Make sure you have the same expectations and the same outcomes desired. Mm. And so what made you guys continue when one of your members left? We just liked each other, I guess. Like singing? Yeah, yeah. I guess. We kind of liked it. Um, one of the things that gave us great joy was travelling around the place as coaches and as judges, and um, we didn't want to stop doing that. So, you know, we, we deliberately got, you know, you in, uh, knowing that that was something that you were open to, mm. and uh, we're excited about that. But you you had an audition process, didn't you, to, to yeah, replace we did, Les? We did. We, uh, we auditioned quite a few people, and... Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> See you in fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, go away and learn the craft. First. Yeah. Uh, no, we did. We auditioned quite a few people, but because we you know, we had already been around the traps for quite a few years in quartets, we had some some pretty good ideas about what we wanted in a new person. I decided to go with you anyway. Um, so, much to your regret. Yeah, but uh, no, you're right. You know, we, it needed to be someone who could socially fit as well as um, vocally fit, yeah. and who had the same sort of desires. I guess that was the important part of that, that, that whole process. Uh, so time is short. So tell us. Uh, we, there's a bunch of other sort of um, council and other things we've got to uh, uh, talk about. So I guess you know to. Extent you can summarise the, the rest of the journey, which involved, um, you know, coming second in Sydney and then having to pick ourselves up and going to international and various yeah. other things. So lots that, of that lots was, of peaks I mean, and troughs. Uh, many people personally blame you for coming second. However, um, it was a really good learning too to not just turn up to, to convention expecting to just you know. You can't just walk out. You've got to work hard. The scores are always improving. Have a look at the average scores and, and what you need to do to achieve those scores. Uh, you can't just sit back. You've got to keep working hard. So I actually didn't mind 2007 in hindsight. Hated it at the time. Mm. In hindsight, it taught me a very important life lesson. Mm. Uh, if you want something, you've got to work for it. You can't and just turn up. So. We were in a pretty good place in 09, I recall, You know, just yeah, feeling look, that I we think, were ready to perform well. Yeah, I think you know, uh, 09 to... Probably 2012 was the glory years for that quartet. And we did, as you know, a lot of travel, a lot of coaching, mm. you know, made CDs. Uh, if you want to buy one, I've still got a couple <laughs> of hundred. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us about your, quickly, your, your first trip to international representing Australia in 2009. That was pretty special. Yeah, it was special. You know, you walk into an, an event where there's lots of people. It's like 
walking into a TV set, all these people you've watched on videos and on YouTube. They're actually real people. You suddenly get into a lift and you're standing next to Jeff Oxley. Legends, and, yeah. You know, standing, who was that? It was um, uh, Joe Lyles. Joe Lyles, yeah. right here. On, and, and over here was Earl Moon. And so I'm like, oh, my God, you arranged Sweet Adeline. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Joe Lyles is, is an arranging legend. And at the back page of every harmonizer, there's a, there's a tag that he's chosen. So he's just like this perennial name. And suddenly the name has a body, a person attached to it. Yeah. You get to meet people like Dr. Sigmund Spaeth, or, mm. you know, who, uh, Jim Henry, or yeah. like just all these famous people uh, who've written and, and, and taught about barbershop, and, and you get into a lift with them, and it's just surreal. Mm. Then you see all this stuff going on on stage, you know, mm. uh, you know, international championships going on. It's, it's just really an amazing thing. And because we were judges, we were then allowed to be in the pit and shadow judge and, you know, and hone our skills that way. So that was the best seat in the house, as you know. Um, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. What an overwhelming experience that first just the, time. But, just you know. the chemistry and the, the physics is found uh, pushing your hair, though. Sorry. I mean, I'm really, um, yeah, <laughs> having having a big impact on you. <laughs> that encourages him. <laughs> so what, quickly, uh, briefly, what were your sort of combination of it can be a bit overwhelming, but you also come back just enormously inspired. Yeah, I think, you know, going over there, Certainly seeing what goes on over there and having a chance to be out on a big giant stage in front of an audience of 10,000 barbershoppers who know exactly what you are meant to be doing, uh, that certainly helps you tighten some things up. Um, it's a great experience to then come back to an Australian convention, which is of course much smaller by scale. It, it feels like a whole lot less pressure in many ways because you know, you've done your worst. You've, you've had you know, the, the giant jumbotron TV screen come fast. Every nose hair. Yeah. I know, right? I know. Um, so, you know, once you've exposed yourself that way, uh, coming back here, it, it does seem a little easier yeah. in many ways. And that's kind of good because yeah. that's what makes an, an entertaining performance. You don't want to see somebody on stage having a heart attack. That's, yeah. that's not good. Yeah. That's not good. So um, fast forwarding, um, let's, let's you know a lot's more you achieved quartet wise, but let's talk about your uh, yeah your, your council role. What you you've first stepped up as VP events or I believe so. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, what made you do that? Uh, what was it? Music. Might have been music. Was it music. Uh, anyway, I um I had, no, it was music. I had heard that there were uh, was a, uh, one of the councillors was retiring, and. Um, I had been one of those people that kind of complained a little bit about what I thought it should be, and uh, and so decided kind of to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, yeah, put my money where my mouth is, and thought I'd have a go. Um, and I'm sure that you know, historically looking back, people will say that <laughs> I don't know if it was outstanding success or not. But it was a thing. Uh, gave it a go, like everybody else on council does, or anyone else in any of these volunteer positions is doing. You know, just doing their very best. But certainly, I think you know. Since two thousand and nine, the organisation itself has become has attempted to become a lot more relevant to its members and a lot more useful to its members and a lot more contemporary. It's it's no longer just you know the guys in suits rolling out twice a year, or, sorry, twice, every every two years. But now you know we try and get around and talk to people. We listen, you know. We have more resources, sort of you know, more availability of of stuff for the members because hey, we're just members too. Um, and we, we just want the best singing environment that we can have, really. And so what made you or uh, led you to step um, up or across from an, the non-presidency role into the presidency? Um, I guess, again, just the desire to 
maintain the stability and the viability of the organisation and making sure that... I think it's important that your president is somebody who's not only got an experience with the association, but a desire to sustain that association well into the future. So I'm just a custodian. Uh, I want to leave it in a better position than it is than it was when I, when I got here, you know, so I want to set it up with lots of new and exciting stuff. And obviously that takes time. Um, we are all volunteers. You know, I'd love to be paid to do it, don't get me wrong, but we are, you know, we're doing it as, as quickly and as efficiently as we can to make sure that we secure the future of the organisation. But I guess, you know, it was like, um, you know, Ian was Vice President under Mike for quite a few years. This is good. <laughs> It's so appropriate. This is good. It's a baritone section practice. <laughs> Stepping on screaming. Cats. So yeah, I mean, Mike was vice president. Uh, sorry, Ian was vice president under Mike for for quite a few years. Uh, I was vice president under Ian for quite a few years, and I just thought it's important that the vice president, you know, has that exposure to a lot of the presidential stuff, so that there can be a smooth transition. Things have changed a lot since either of those guys were president, and that's something that I always appreciate from them. There's no sniping because they know again that my approach will be different, but it's still designed to get the same outcome. Mm. Uh, and, and I can still use those guys for plenty of advice, uh, and, uh, and that's certainly appreciated. Yeah. Our time is almost up because people have things to do and, and places to go. Um, but before I finish with my favourite question, um, what, 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 yeah, what are your current, uh, you may have addressed this during the, um, uh, the council time with, with members at, at um, convention, but what are the main sort of priorities on your plate as president for the next sort of 12 months? The main priority is, of course, the membership debate. Uh, the Everyone in Harmony discussion that's going on all around the world at the moment is probably the most burning thing that I'd like resolved. Um, there's, a, there, there's a real need to ensure the viability of the organisation from a membership point of view, but it can't be about money, and uh, you know, and it also has to be appropriately supported and resourced. So I think prodding that conversation uh, to get people actively engaged in that conversation and coming up with a result for their association is 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 number one priority at the moment. Um, and I think that that's going to take quite a bit of doing. But I'm lucky; I've got you know advice from from people like my esteemed colleague over here. Uh, who are there at the coal front uh, living this experience and being able to provide help and assistance on, you know, to, to the old white guys on the council. So mm -hmm. that's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice and re very reassuring. So thank you for that. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's got to be the number one priority right now is, you know, we need to, to really work out, sh you know, what should our membership consist of and, and how do we enable that to occur. Mm. That, uh, that will set, set it up with the most support. And with PANPACs next year in Auckland, does BHA have, um, the New Zealanders basically mainly run that convention? Yeah, yeah. it's um, hosted by New Zealand. So there'll be three separate contests. There'll be a, a New Zealand contest, an Australian contest, and a Pan Pacific contest. But I'm kind of super aware of not looking like hillbillies when we go over there with outdated rules, given that New Zealand has gone everyone in harmony, uh, full open membership. Mm. Um, so there is kind of a time frame for me uh, to, to really make sure this conversation occurs quickly and efficiently whilst ensuring, as you know, the, the general membership uh, time enough to absorb and understand what's happening and have input. 
And can you tell us anything about um, 2021 and 2022 conventions uh, uh, as far as the philosophy you, you, you use to decide where they are and will they be always be in capital cities or...? We, I mean, as you know, we only went to uh, annual conventions in 2014. And so it's still a relatively new process where we're, we're bedding down the financial aspect and bedding down the templates and, and all of the planning processes and stuff um, to do with having it as an annual event. And we did have an experiment in Perth in 2015 where... Um, 2013, I'm sorry, where we had a reduced number of delegates and delegate partners attending and it, it suffered a great loss. Uh, financially, it was a disaster, but a fantastic convention. But it did kind of indicate that it might not be sensible to go all that way over to the west again, but to kind of linger around the eastern seaboard where, the, where most of the membership live. And that's, that's, of course, got pros and cons, and we will need to look at that. And it's going to be a case of the eastern seaboarders subsidising the western Australians to travel in the future. It's just got to happen. It's not that we can charge them less because, hey, it still costs to put on a convention, there are fixed costs per head. But uh, we might need to have a look at some of that as part of the you know, the overall structure and plan of how we come up with where, where the conventions are. As far as which city it goes to, um, there is an open offer. The offer is open continually for any club to host at any time. All you need to do is put your hand up and say, we'd like to have a go. And the BHA Council has got a whole stack of stuff that we do to facilitate that. Um, and, and just you use the locals as logistical support. Um, 2021, uh, the Gold Coast Pivotal Point Harmony have put up their name. Uh, so that will be held at Jupiter's Casino in 2021. 2022, I'm going to start poking that down towards Canberra somewhere, I think. Might be about time for, for you know, we haven't been in Canberra for, for quite a few years now. So that might not be a bad idea to build up. You know, I'm sure you, you would have seen the festival concept this time. Got you know many thousands of people through our convention, and aware of our branding and involved in our events, and we're I'm just so excited about having seen that come to fruition, and so that's what it's about. That's why we move around. If we didn't do that sort of community stuff, it would make sense to find somewhere cheap and nasty and just stay there for yeah. uh, you know for many years. But no quantity, yeah. But what we want to do is actually you know again make the organisation more sustainable and you know, into the future. And uh, one of the biggest ways you can do that is by building firm, you know, solid, like I'm pretty sure Hobart Barbershop is now secure for mm. quite some time. Mm. And not only that, they've got 2,000 email addresses mm. of people who came through the festival. We made them register for all the free events, but we've got their email addresses now. Um, so it's that sort of stuff where the locals can benefit highly from exposure in each city. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where we're going to, as a national council, we might sit down and say, okay, well, we're... For example, Victoria, great big region, uh, not a lot of clubs, not a lot of clubs. So do we need to have a look at something down there? Or Canberra, we haven't been there for a while. Sydney, we were there not long ago. Queensland will be there in 2021. So where do we go is based on you know, quite a few different things. As far as timing goes, it's often got to do with when we can get the venues that would fit our events. So. Um, yeah, keep that in mind too. There's, there's arguments about school holidays, in school holidays, out of school holidays, all that. It's really dependent on the venue in most cases. So, mm. Cool, okay, that's exciting. Um, so 2021 uh, Gold Coast, um, hosted by Pivotal Point 
and um, and then 2022, uh, yeah, some, some options on the table, but to be announced uh, at some appropriate time in the future. Okay. So, uh, can Mr. I President, ask a question? yeah, of course you can. Yes, yes you Jenny. We're talking pan packs. Do they have? A, does New Zealand have a um, Harmony College? Because New Zealand tends to have their Harmony their College. Yeah, they national. tend to have it in March, uh, in order to educate and train before going to their big contest. However. Um, that's not yet been decided for this time around. Did you have your hand up? I was just saying, I think they are planning to have one. Yeah. At the moment, too, we're also looking at perhaps tacking a judging school onto that as well. So while we're all together, um, we'll try and tack that in. And this year, I don't know if, if you've got around Harmony Academy much, but there's also a bunch of kids here from Singapore, which is kind of exciting. Uh, so we're going to have... We're targeting Singapore, Japan... 2023? Indonesia. No, this year. So 2020. Um, we, it's going to be actually a Pan Pacific, not just BHA and BHMZ. Yeah. Uh, so the Tokyo guys will come out. Uh, I think well, there's a chorus coming out. They try it always. It's always a yeah, thrill the, having there. I think the Hawaiians want to want to be back in as well. Nice. So build it back up. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just really expensive, you know. Yeah. So that's why we choose to not hold a convention in the year in that year. It would take away from that audience, but it would also be really expensive. So. Mm. We need to look at some other options for that. And that's, mm. that's an ongoing discussion. Nice. Excellent. Well, uh, uh, thank you for sharing your story and um, uh, some of the, the, your memories from your, uh, your 44 years in barbershop. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so leaving you with uh, my, my, my favourite question, what would 2019 Dan tell 1988 Dan about barbershop and, and, and his future in barbershop and how to make the most of it? Oh, that is a good question. Um, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, just enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey. Like, it's, this really is the hobby that keeps on giving. You know, the more you learn and the more you do, the more you learn and the more you do. <laughs> and so I'm just constantly surprised. Like I've, I've been, you know, travel over this, uh, around the world, you know, 12, 13 times just to sing with mates like that's a pretty peaceful life you know when, when you think about it and uh, I think there are far worse things that you could be doing with yourself but yeah I'd, I'd just say look don't don't sweat it um, just enjoy the ride you know think enjoy all of those experiences all the different friendships you make the songs you hear the performances you see stuff like uh, you know watching the ambassadors from the pit you know doing their you know you just go oh, mm. it's still a moment mm, mm. you know so just soak it all in enjoy mm. it as much as possible and just in, yeah, that's it. Enjoy, mm. enjoy. Stick with it and enjoy. There'll be frustrations. All groups have dysfunctions, frustrations, all that. But we also, all groups can have celebrations. And I think, as an as a group, we we celebrate a whole lot more than we mourn. So uh, you know, it's a, quite a joyful place to be. Um, just as a little cherry on top of that. Speaking of mourning, it's actually quite a one of the most powerful and emotional things we do is getting together as barbershoppers and celebrating the lives of, of, uh, of blokes who have, who have passed away and, mm. and, and, uh, and sharing, in, uh, sharing song and, and, um, and celebrating the camaraderie and, and, and yeah, using song to, 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 to mark that occasion. I think it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some of the toughest gigs you'll ever do are at chorus members' funerals. Mm. And that's that's really tough, but you know it's also really nice that in today's society we have an outlet for some of that emotional stuff. Mm. Um, uh, you know, growing up as a 
as a male as I chose to do. Um, <laughs> well, it's not funny. <laughs> it's, um, it's not something that's encouraged is to, to be emotional or to cry or to show any fear or anything like that. So to stand out on stage and to be able to do that and have people support that and applaud it, like that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's the opposite of the, the old suck it up princess theory that we get trained as, as Australian males and all females to, 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 to live like. So, yeah. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Milgate. Let's get a fat out. <laughs>